Welcome to the Coach and Doc podcast, hosted by Coach Chris Cutcliffe and Dr. Hunter Taylor. Our organization's mission is simple. We aim to seek and share wisdom on how to build teams that experience long-term success. One way we do that is by interviewing some of the best leaders inside and outside of athletics on this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do at Coach and Doc, please visit our website, www.coachanddoc.com. Our next guest is the University of Miami's Coach Phil Byer. Coach Phil has served as the strength and conditioning coach for the Hurricanes men's basketball team since 2019. Prior to joining Coach Laranega's staff, he served two different stints for Coach Grant McCaslin as the strength and conditioning coach for the men's basketball teams at the University of North Texas and Arkansas State University, where he helped both programs accomplish remarkable turnarounds. And while he's known as a basketball guy now, Coach Phil has also worked with football, volleyball, track and field, cheerleading and dance, tennis, crew, and ice hockey teams. He's as enthusiastic about his craft as anyone I've ever met, and he's earned a glowing reputation as one of the most player-centered coaches in the country. Coach Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Been listening for a while here and really fired to chop it up with y'all. Well, let's dive right in. So I'm not sure when this will come out. You know, we're, we're talking uh, late April, early May, but we're recording this only two days removed from the national championship game when Baylor knocked off Gonzaga. And, and I'm sure all three of us, you know, looked at Twitter through the game. And I remember a couple key things I wanted your take on uh, where we saw commentary floating around about the difference in strength and agility between the two teams. And I was just curious, when you watch the game through your lens, you know, what did you notice? Did it reinforce your own beliefs in the importance of S&C? And, you know, kind of even a follow-up, did it prompt any conversations with your current guys? Yeah, I, I would say it prompted more conversations. Um, at that level, at that game, when you're that far into the season, 28-2 and two for Baylor, or 27-2 and two at that time, uh, what was it, 31-0 and 0 for Gonzaga, I would definitely say both of those teams are more than qualified in terms of being strong enough, fast enough, agile enough, mobile enough, and uh, to be healthy at that time, given everything that this, this year and this season has uh, thrown at us. I think that's a compliment to both of their strength conditioning coaches. So I, I, I really think like it's, it's, it's a little bit of a disrespect to try to bash either of them there, but just watching the nature of that game like, I mean, you can, you can look at grip strength, whether the ball was getting ripped away on a, on a drive and make points there, because that, that may have been a frequent on both ends. Um, Talking with players, uh, one, one main thing I had a conversation actually about today with one of our guys was uh, Butler's interview, where they asked him about, like, the flow of the game and how it was going. And really, I think he said one time in the first half he looked up at the score – and felt a little bit surprised because he was like, hey, we were making shots, but they weren't. So I was kind of surprised that the lead was actually still that big. And then maybe I looked back up at like four minutes left in the second half. So like that's just such a huge testament to their culture and their program and, and, and playing the score. I mean, uh, playing the game, not the score. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had that conversation today in terms of um, how we should train and how you should practice and, and don't be one of those people that are, are just trying to survive. Be one of those people that are trying to get the most out of every moment, whether it's a lift, whether it's a practice, whether it's even just a walkthrough or film session. Um, 
And then, and just kind of like from a competitive standpoint, I think the, the, the Teague play was huge. Like they're up 18 with two and a half minutes left or whatever it is. And he's out there, gets the deflection, dives in like three rows deep, full sprint to contest in the corner. And then even when the shot missed, I think he was the first or second guy down the floor after, oh. after that whole series, like, uh, from like a conversation standpoint, you gotta, you gotta look at that and say like, you think that guy doesn't want to win drills and doesn't want to be the best at whatever the day is, is throwing at him. So I, th- that was more of the conversations we had. Um, there, like I said, with the grip strength or, or some obvious points with rebounding areas around the rim, um, those guys weren't getting pushed around. And I really do believe both of those strength conditioning programs are great. I guess Baylor just imposed their will a, a little better. Yeah, so, hey, Coach Phil, I know you've coached a lot of different sports. I was reading the rundown of them, and it's, it's pretty incredible, uh, you know, all the different experiences you have. And I also know that you were a college football player. And, you know, there's a lot of research out there and a lot of conversation about the benefits of playing multiple sports. Uh, but I want to adjust that just a little bit, change the question, and, and ask you if you think there's been any benefits for you in having coached multiple sports. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, not just from a programming standpoint. Obviously, different sports have different common injuries or different emphasis emphases that you need to you strength need to strengthen or address. Um, but I, I'd say coaching multiple sports has impacted me in terms of how to think creatively, because there's there's teams that from a scheduling standpoint, their head coach, or it might only be wise based on how they play, might only train twice a week in the off season. Then there's gonna be programs or sports that want you to train them five days a week, okay? So when you gotta think creatively, you gotta prioritize. What, what's the most beneficial at this time? Do I get an hour, do I get two hours? Where should I uh, implement certain methods or, or modalities and, and really um, have to adjust to that? And like, like from, from a coaching standpoint, outside of the X's and O's, it's to steal a term from Brett Bartholomew, it kind of teaches you to be socially agile. You might have a team like, for instance, I coached a tennis team at Southeast Missouri State where only one of the girls um, spoke proficient English. So you, you literally had to learn to work with them and, and, and communicate with them in different ways. And you, got, you might have a volleyball team with somebody from Hawaii and then someone from a, a city in, in Philly. And they might have completely different backgrounds, but they're on the same rack together doing the same thing. You've got to find a way to add purpose and add drive to, to, to the session when these people respond or these athletes respond to things differently. Um, but I, I'd, I'd say those two are probably the biggest – takeaways from coaching multiple sports um from like an administration standpoint like uh, I'll use our track team at uh, Arkansas State as an example there was there were 60 of them in the weight room at once it was a big weight room um and it was while football was practicing and while women's basketball was practicing some other teams were practicing all I had was me and one, one of one of the interns and you got to learn to uh develop a culture and put a program out there that not only is benefiting them but safe because like there's only four sets of certified eyes for strength conditioning you've got 
all these athletes popping around and they were an excited group and I was fortunate they had great buy-in and really listened to us and ultimately got faster and jumped higher and threw stuff further and did multiple events for the other ones and actually won a championship, which was awesome. While these podcasts are a blast to make, they're also a lot of work. And we want to thank BSN Sports and Endurance Therapy for sponsoring this series. With a promise to provide real solutions that make a difference to your budget, your athletes, and your peace of mind, check out BSN Sports at bsnsports.com. And having seen my players get treated by endurance physical therapy, I greatly appreciate the hands-on personalized treatment their staff offers to patients, giving them the comfort they deserve while they're healing. Please check them out today at endurancetherapy.com. Well, Coach Phil, we were just to change this a little bit. Like we were texting the other day, maybe a couple of weeks ago about coaching trees. And I remember how you mentioned it. And I know how proud you are of this, that the tree you came out of for strength and conditioning you believe, you know, I could end up being one of the best ones in, uh, in your business. If you wouldn't mind, because I know how much you value this, would you talk about the members of your tree so our listeners can learn about them and then what you've taken from them? Yeah, so uh, I would say the coaching tree really started with my college football strength conditioning coaches. So I was fortunate enough to play football at Springfield College um, and how they – they run their program there. There's a director of strength conditioning over all sports. That is Dr. Brian Thompson. He is there uh, full time. He's a professor there as well. Takes, um, takes on one or two teams uh, to coach himself. And then everybody below him in terms of strength conditioning coaches that are in charge of teams, um, they're all graduate assistants. So they rotate every year. So I played four years of college football. I had four different strength conditioning coaches. And you want to talk about getting lucky or being fortunate. Um, all of those guys right now are directors of strength conditioning in their own right, like the top of their program at their respective institutions. Um, so starting off, my first strength conditioning coach was Richard Johnson. Um, he's at URI right now. Then we went into Chris Chase, who is the director of high performance for um, the Memphis Grizzlies. Then Greg Carasquillo, director of strength conditioning at Nichols State, one of, one of the top FBS programs out there. Um, and then uh, we had jo uh, Joel Welsh. Uh, he was actually my sophomore year, not my senior year. But um, he, uh, I believe he's at Central Michigan right now. Um, but so I was really fortunate to come under them and, and learn from them as a player. And that led into my first internship at uh, Harvard in Boston. Uh, that was actually set up through Greg Carasquillo, uh, one of my strength conditioning coaches. And I did that my junior year. And I worked under James Frazier and Tim Mullen. And really, like, that was my first experience to, like, the coaching side. I've seen it as a player and experienced it as a player, but never really noticed that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in terms of meetings, plannings, strategizing. Um, and then, so, like, I got to coach there. I worked with a number of different teams, football, men's, women's, basketball, and then a group called the Summer Dogs, which was just, like, a group of 20 uh, varied sports athletes, soccer, tennis, golf, um, hockey, like lacrosse, a bunch there. So learn, learn pretty much, like I said, behind the scenes, everything, everything that goes on. Um, went back to school senior year. Uh, it was part of Springfield's curriculum to go out and take an internship when you were done 
with either your fall or spring semester. For me, I was a fall athlete, so I had to do it in my spring semester. I uh, was fortunate enough, James Frazier and Tim Mullen recommended me to USC out in California. That's where I met um, a number of different coaches, but Tim Mullen was ultimately the one that hired me. Aaron Osmus was, was his uh, boss there. And that's really where I kind of like sharpened the sword and, and, and created like my coaching identity, if you will, because I was like, there, there, it was pretty much 50-50 at Harvard, whether I had a group or I was just kind of, kind of helping. Mm-hmm. At USC, I was 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. on the floor. If there was a team rolling, I, I, was, I was out there helping. I um, was fortunate that they trusted me with their athletes and to mm-hmm. help run all of their different programs. There was about seven strength conditioning coaches there. Um, so I finished that up, um, came home and back to Boston and spent like three months and had, didn't really, like I did a couple interviews, but didn't, didn't, didn't really land anything. And then I was fortunate enough, Ryan Johnson, the director at Southeast Missouri state called somebody, uh, the Dr. Brian Thompson at Springfield and he needed a GA for men's and women's basketball and tennis and to help with football and baseball. So a big coaching load there, but ultimately I interviewed and, and got that job and, I mean, that's, that's, that's where I learned really how to implement an annual plan. So I'd helped all these strength and conditioning coaches run their programs. I had experienced it as an athlete. Now it was up to me to put together the programs for men's and women's basketball and tennis and then be an assistant like I was with football. Sorry about that. That was my dog, Ross. Um, he's getting fired up career is going so he's getting really fired up but um yeah so that's that's where where I learned the ins and outs in terms of how to train basketball guys and girls and other athletes in the summer and then carried into the fall in a preseason period and then an in-season period and really Ryan there was the guiding force behind all that like invested a ton of time in terms of uh helping me feel it out helping me um, really, really learn what needed to be prioritized. Um, so I did that for two years and then two years that, that finished and, uh, came back my second year, I think it was May to a call from Matt Shadid at Arkansas state. Um, and it turned out that Tim Karen had recommended me for a job there and ultimately went out to a conference to interview with him. Um, which turned into probably one of the most unique interview experiences I've ever been a part of. <laughs> it, uh, we were actually out to going out to dinner as a staff and he called me and was like, Hey, let's do this now. I'm in the vendor section of the conference. And so I sprint back to the hotel room, grab my portfolios, sprint to go meet him. We're just in this big old hallway, like face to face, two chairs just randomly out there. And he's challenging me on my programs, trying to, trying to get me to, to cave or, or, or show a lack of confidence there. And then he asked me to demo a bunch of dynamic warm-up stuff. So it's just us in this open space. And if anybody walked by, they're probably wondering what the heck was going on. But yeah, ultimately got that job. And um, that, that was men's basketball, men's women's track and field, and assist with football. And then I took on cheer and dance after my first year there. And that – Coach Shadid, I mean, I can I can list a number of different things, but from the culture side of it, and from 
the getting buy-in and knowing how to properly invest in your athletes, your, your time and energy and your focus. Like he is, he is a mastermind at that. Um, and yeah, so we got after it there. And I know I think that's the staff that we were talking about. I mean, at the time there was Cody Stout there, Rebecca at the time, Siddig, now Gold, Ethan Gold, Tessa Uha, Matthew Murphy, um, Jen Taft, uh, just a ton of different people with the same mission, wanting to, wanting to invest and wanting to help not just their own athletes, but everyone that they, they were around. And it, it was just great. And it was a ton of different skill sets. Like if we ever needed to know anything about anything, there was somebody in that group text that we could, we could throw a question out and all of a sudden we would have a full-blown strength summit or mobility summit or energy system summit. It was great. Um, and uh, second year there, met, uh, worked with Grant McCaslin. You mentioned the, the turnaround there that led to um, an opening that, that I was awarded at, at, at North Texas. Um, and we spent a little over two years getting, it after, getting after it there together. Rebecca and Ethan were actually there. Um, Zach Womack, Andrew Wright, just a, a, a ton of great people. Uh, that, that, that helped that process along. And then on the, on the basketball side there, as, as we all know, Jareem Dowling, um, former, former uh, podcast member here, uh, Ross Hodge, James Miller, Matthew Brower, Andy Schmidt, John Trilly, just a ton of great people, Andrew Huteberg, um, that, that turned that around, just being selfless, serving others, trying to find ways to compete every day and invest into these guys. and. Um, after my second, a little over second year there, I uh, had a call from our, one of our assistants at the U here, Chris Caputo, and we talked about uh, an opportunity here and then ultimately interviewed with Coach L, and, and now here we are going on, um, going on my, my second, second year, kind of just a bunch of two-year rotations. <laughs> Good stuff. So <clears throat> Hunter and I, we've done a lot of research on thick institutions, and so one characteristic of a thick institution is that its members have a really strong sense of loyalty to the culture of that institution. And I know you've already mentioned it. You're big on creating a culture in the weight room, especially in the off season. So could you talk about what types of things you do to help create that kind of attachment to the culture? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a number of different things. Uh, I like to be proactive in a majority of them. And then based on either the previous season or, something that's going on in the world today or, or something that's going on within, within the team. You can be a little reactive at points, but like from a proactive standpoint, like there's, we're just going to have a few non-negotiables that no matter if it's a off day yoga session or a high intensity lift with a, a conditioning block later in the day or after practice or whatever the case is, um, I firmly believe in having great body language, okay, looking like you want to be there. I think that that's a huge redeemable quality, whether it's as a part of a team in athletics or even if you go off into the business world and, and, and you're sitting in a 9 a.m. meeting when you've been going 14 days straight, like you should look like you want to be there. And, and I think that will rub off on a lot of people. Um, being enthusiastic about everything you do. That doesn't mean you need to be a super extroverted person. Like your body language can show that. You can give somebody a high five. You can make sure you're going over and spotting somebody in the weight room. Uh, you can count their reps, count their tempo, give 
just three to five words of encouragement and you do that frequently, like that's, that's pretty enthusiastic in, in itself. Um, we're going to have a high standard on effort, like whether it's a rep in the weight room or a sprint or agility drill, like we will grow to the point where our best effort is going to happen every single time. Um, how you do small things is how you do all things. So I, I do believe in that. And then having a positive attitude, like regardless of the situation, like I know we, we just mentioned earlier on Butler talking about um, playing the game, not the score. Like that's, that's how you're going to make progress. That's, that's how you're going to um, continue to push the needle forward and in the right direction. Um, so those are really the, the big four that every single day we will make sure we will be a leading, um, in terms of some other cultural aspects, like I, I really believe in empowering guys. So whether that is something small at the end of a session, we might call it champions do extra or, or one more rep, just pick a guy and he's going to lead the session in whatever he wants. It could be a stretch. It could be a bicep curl. It could be another set of goblet squats or lunges, but it's got to be together. It's got to be on his command or her command and um, just let them find a voice that they can use, whether it be in practice or in a weight room and things like that will drive, drive the culture forward. Um, you can, you can uh, modify that in terms of like what we've done in the past. I think we'd call it the red wolf challenge or, or um, the red Hawks challenge where, like two or three days in advance, I'll tell a group of two, of two athletes or three athletes, depending on how big the group is, that, hey, you got the last 15 minutes of Friday's lift. It's got to be set up beforehand. It's got to be coached by you. It's got to be organized. And it's got to have a winner and a loser. So you run it by me. And then I'll give you all the resources you need to put it together. And then you guys are running it. And that is on that. You're signing off on it. That's you. So make it what it is. But you're going to, it will be evaluated. There will be a winner and loser. And once again, just giving them an opportunity to find their voice. Um, <clears throat> another thing like in, in season, we'll do this. So, I mean, we can talk about in season lifts for a while, but uh, for the most part, the movements don't change too often. All right. You change movement. It might elicit some, some soreness basketball. We're playing every 48, 72 hours. So a lot of the movements itself stay the same sets, reps, rest periods and tempos vary, but like if we're on week three or four of a lift, I'll just, I'll have, I'll just pick a guy or girl and they'll, they'll go through what the lift is for the day. And there might be some notes in there that Mike have, Mike might have back squat, but Jason might have a single leg squat and he's, he's got to figure that out. Um, so like as many opportunities to put them in front of their team and have them use their voices and lead, I think that, that, that drives a culture forward. Um, from a competition standpoint, a number of different things. We'll do strongman uh, conditioning in the off season, post the results up on the board. Uh, if we're doing some group based conditioning where, where uh, everybody's essentially do, doing the same thing at the same time. If you win two reps in a row, you then become part of what's called an elite group. Um, and that group might have a longer rest period or actually might even only have to do a couple less reps than everybody else. So if you can consistently win and, and not be the loser of your group, then you're proving that you're, you've, you've done enough. You're strong enough. You're fast enough. You're in your, your fitness levels are high enough. Um, and then I mentioned it briefly, but like just the simple concept of 
recording, ranking, and publishing. So we have a TV in the weight room. Um, it might be a bar speed that we're tracking. It might be sprint drills from, from um, the session the day before, but we'll put their records up there. And they have to walk by it every time they come into the weight room. And I mean, it's, I, I can't say that scouts walk through the weight room, our, our staff walks through the weight room, but it's up there and nobody likes to see their name in, in last place. So usually that drives some conversations or, or some just general results where they just start becoming more competitive and eliciting more effort. And it, it, it's great. So, I mean, that, it's one of the favorite parts of my job and I get to do it year round as a strength conditioning coach. It's, it's not, I'm not a, I'm not a, the, the basketball coaches who only get to do it from, uh, what is it like November to hopefully you're playing in April, April. <laughs> All right. So I know you're always on, but I also know there's a time period where you can step it up into overdrive on, you know, getting new ideas, whether that's through books or going and spending time with other people or whatnot. And I know how aggressive you are about seeking out new methods and things like that and refining what you do. So I'm curious, how are you spending uh, your quote unquote off season um, to get these guys better? Yeah. Um, number of different ways. Uh, being men's basketball only is, I mean, this is a first for the, in my career is where I am only dealing with men's basketball players. And I obviously see the women's basketball team and their staff um, every single day. So it's given me more of an opportunity to, to study the game, um, whether it be watching a film or watching the, the whole previous game uh, and being able to talk about it and, and how, how certain drills or certain lifts or certain progressions we do will, will, will impact what's going on on the court. Um, taking that a step further, like on my, on my books to read, I got uh, KG's, uh, KG A to Z, his audio book queued up right now. I got, I got about two hours left on one and I'm gonna dive into that um, in terms of my hard copy or hardcover books. Um, I got Pete Carroll's, uh, the, the smart take from the strong, the basketball coach, Pete Carroll, not, um, not, not the football coach, but really just trying to study as much as I can on the game and being able to talk about it like I am an assistant basketball coach. Um, I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe one day an opportunity comes along where I want to shift maybe to the high school ranks and become a head coach. It's good to have a, a pretty good, pretty good backing there. Um, I mean, on the basketball side, I know, uh, Jareem and Coach Tangs uh, and everybody else involved in the Be Ready um, productions. Like I, I, those are on YouTube. I'm, I think I've watched five of them now. I would like to continue to do that. Those are some great resources that are out there. Um, but definitely diving into the basketball side of things. Um, on, the S, on the strength conditioning side, uh, I did mention it's I am only responsible for men's basketball. So it's it's not like – I, I have four or five teams I need to balance. So you can, you can really take one or two athletes at a time on certain days. And we have our own weight room in our arena. So um, there's, there's some methods out there that, that we'll be diving into. Um, one of them that I, I'm really hoping to get certified in or, or go through the courses, um, it's called neurotyping. Um, and it's really a five prong kind of categorization of athletes. Like some athletes need your two to three reps of slow grinding reps. Some may only need two or three of 
extremely dynamic where the bar is moving crazy fast. Um, some will respond better to some in-between rep ranges, like your, your six to eights, and then some are gonna respond to your high rep ranges, and it's all based on their fiber dominance and, and kind of their brain makeup there. I mean, this, this could be an hour-long session in itself, but hopefully um, I, can, I can get signed up for those and we can get after it there. And then we have, uh, we, we at, uh, at the U have probably one of the best resources in the country on the academic side and Dr. Brian Mann. Um, he, is, he is a former strength conditioning coach of 20 years at an extremely high level. And he is actually on the academic side, but offers his tools and his brain power and his suggestions to us. And we started, we started once we kind of got reacclimated, acclimated to training, we started creating some velocity profiles for guys in terms of how like, like their bar speed or their movements need to be completed in a certain speed. All right. And that's like their goal, each, each rep or each drill or whatever the case is. Um, once, once we got kind of out of the, the COVID break and kind of got back into the swing of things, we, we started putting together profiles there. And now in a more traditional off season, I, I'm, I'm planning on getting with him and diving right in and trying to get the best possible outputs out of these guys possible. So I'm really intrigued to hear from you about this one. Um, you know, the relationship between the head coach of the sport and the strength and conditioning coach. You know, I know how important that is. Um, you know, I, our strength and conditioning coach at, at our school is, is fantastic, and he and I work closely together every single day um, about what we have going on uh, with our football team. So could you talk about that from your vantage point? You know, what do you want, what do you need from your head coach in order to effectively do your job? Yeah, so um, first and foremost, and I think this goes for any team or staff, but the communication needs to be elite. Okay, so especially in our off season where I like to run like a high low method where you have high days where you're doing your high intensity sprinting, your heavy lifting, um, your any any conditioning, anything that's really gonna tax the body. I want that to be on a day where where his practice or his skill work session, wherever we're at, is is the highest. Okay. So keep the main thing the main thing, as opposed to like he might if we don't have great communication, he might program just a bunch of set shooting where it just doesn't really tax him, and he wants them to recover, but I'm in the weight room doing everything I just said, and then all of a sudden the whole system is thrown off. So communication's got to be elite in terms of um, the day-to-day, -day, and then even the long-term, like maybe you give them a Friday off, okay? Let's not make that a surprise. Let's, I would love to know that three weeks ahead of time so, so we can – we can um, adjust the program accordingly as opposed to if he just were to call it and then I, I just generally lose a day, whereas we could kind of make up for that in other areas. So communication is always going to be the biggest key. Um, trust. Okay. Like that, the schedule that I'm putting out, the groups that we're putting together, the time, total time we're spending um, is the pos best possible program for these guys if he trusts and firmly believes that then that's going to drive the culture of getting into the weight room or or being at a, an elite fitness level um forward even more so uh whether he, that means that he like we just communicate about everything that's going on or he's mentioning it during their practices that they that this is why you lift or this is why you run or this will help you here and there 
Um, so the trust, the trust portion is obviously huge. Um, next one is probably support. Okay. So I know that kind of goes along with what I just said in, in terms of trust, but like if there's a pot way possible to continue to find ways for these guys to make progress and it might be something from a resource standpoint, whether it's, Hey, we're always going to have 50, to go meals for these guys to grab those little meal prep ones, or it's a piece of equipment that um, maybe some of our data is, is saying, Hey, if we had this or could train this way, that would make a, a, a lot of people's lives a little easier. And we'd find some more success that way. Um, being able to just sign off that, that, that whatever it is we need, he's going to support it. And he's going to go to go to bat for us when it comes purchasing time or when it comes um, planning time. And then this is one thing that I, I, I really take pride in is I, I want, I want him to give me suggestions or I want him or her to, uh, be brutally honest with me. Like, Hey, that's a, that's not a great idea. Or I love that. We should do more of that. Um, or, uh, some coaches with a ton of experience be like, Hey, we did this in 2002 and the guys ate it up or they felt great or, just everything like that, as much information as I can get from, from his or her past experiences, like that's, that's winning right there. And um, some people might take offense to that, but not me. Not me. I, I want it. I want it every day. Phil, this is so good. Um, we're at the end now, though. So we're going to finish with a little rapid fire closing round. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind, quick answers. This is what we usually do on our podcast. The only trick is we're actually going to change it up for this episode. And all five questions will be centered around the New England Patriots. Greatest so, winning machine ever. So our listeners need to understand that Phil may be the most knowledgeable person I know about the Patriot way. So here we go. All right. First question, the definitive book on the Patriots culture. What is it? I don't think it's even out yet, but it's, it's better to be feared. It's going to be, it's written by Wickersham. He's going to be awesome. The one that is out is Belichick. It's about 450 pages. If you're not a Patriots fan, then it's, you gotta, you gotta read a ton because it goes over games and everything, but ton of different quotes and stories. It's great. Short read, gridiron genius. Like that's about three different coaches, but Belichick's in it. Second question. Who is Ernie Adams and what does he do? Ernie Adams is the director of football research for the New England Patriots. He is pretty much Belichick's right-hand man. His job during the week is essentially to try to find ways that the Patriots would get beat. So put together a plan that what teams might run on offense or what teams in certain got to have it situations third and mid-range six to eight are they're, what they're going to run what they're going to run on the goal line um and then during the game he's kind of just the guy who feels it out says you might need to challenge it here or hey you might want to think about going for two next next time just kind of certain small decisions like that most dominant tom brady performance in a patriots uniform january 12th 2008 um i was there it was the playoff game against the Jaguars. Um, I believe the game ended. It, it might have only been like a one or two score game. I think it was a 10-point game. But 
I remember looking up later in the fourth quarter and told my dad, I was like, I don't think Brady's incompleted a pass. And turned out he was 26 of 28 for like just under 300 yards, three TDs, had a play like he, he, he had like nine seconds in the pocket, but he's just scanning all over the place, point receivers all over the place. And then like threaded in between like three guys. It was awesome. Best coach game by Bill Belichick. Uh, AFC Championship 2004. Um, and I, I, I only say this. They won 20-3 to three against the high-powered Colts and everything. But the trickle-down effect from that game was amazing. Like, they, the game, the, the, they put, made rules because of that game about how um, – how you can hit receivers, what pass interference is, what illegal contact is, what holding is. Like that game was so physical on that end was it, it, it made it pushed football forward, I think. Last question. What is one thing you think they are the best at that rarely gets talked about? Say the level of detail that goes into their preparation. So like there's all the talk about that they make people play like left-handed and you got, it's, you're gonna need your third best way to win a game to beat them and everything. But like you watch like those do your jobs. And then obviously we talked about Ernie Adams and his detail and everything. But like, I think in the Falcons Super Bowl one, there was a quote by like their corners coach where they were talking about Julio Jones's injured foot. And he was like, okay, so we're playing the game February 3rd. And I believe our research showed the last time he made an outbreaking route past 10 yards on his right foot was December 2nd. Like, like just crazy stuff like that. Or, or they, the fact that they're like stat refs, like who calls holding on what side? Is it a blitz, not blitz? Like just crazy, like the amount of information they use. And it, I imagine it drives their program to be what it is. Coach Phil, this was so awesome. Thank you for joining us on this. This was great. Thanks. Man, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Coach and Doc podcast. Uh, we know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we're grateful that you chose ours. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, please visit our website. It is at coachanddoc.com. Thanks again.